the label was the greatest thing ever. Because when you feel you're utterly alone and no one else will ever understand or accept you, to have a label for that is like the greatest thing ever. Relief. Because that was the first time I realized, right, I realized, oh my gosh, I actually have something that people have had before me and people will have after me. And yes, that means that there is a way to address it. This is Financial Sobriety. We're a couple of financial guys that decided to sit down and share a little bit about our view on things related to money and more. So if you think this is a traditional money podcast, oh, I think you might be in for a little surprise. I'm Matthew Grishman. And Jim Gebhardt. And we're here to talk money in a way you've never imagined money can be talked about. So let's go. The second half of this interview could not have come soon enough. I have been so excited to hear the second half of this conversation that we're having with Melissa Bernstein, co-founder of Melissa and Doug Toys, uh, an unbelievably incredible success story, an entrepreneur, a business leader, someone who just wanted to really have impact in the world with her husband, Doug, with what they created in their half a billion dollar toy business. Just incredible. Part two of the conversation is going where I never could have imagined it would have gone. Here we go. Part two, Melissa Bernstein here on Financial Sobriety. I'm going to shift a little bit. We've spent some time understanding about how the business got started, where that came from, and what's been amazing to watch with all of this success that you've had with Melissa and Doug, your marriage, your children, the business, I mean, this positive impact you've had on so many people's lives. What's so amazing for me to hear, the more you and I have spoken recently, is that the outsides of your life didn't necessarily match the insides. Despite all of that success on the outside, it didn't feel that way necessarily inside. There was something going on. You've talked in your book, Lifelines. You've shared with me this fate that you were dealing with, this existential depression. What was going on? What were you feeling? I mean, this whole beautiful world around you was happening, yet inside, something didn't feel right. I had never built a sense of who I was or ever accepted who I was. So inside, I was truly bereft. I was basically a big gaping hole of nothing because I had always chased the external, you know, and I had always lived in my head using perfectionism and validation and the next thing. And even my creativity at the end, I write about was a, a FOMO was I need to create more and more and more and leave a legacy. And it was all about thwarting my mortality and all about not accepting the fact that my fate was to not be here one day. And existential despair, which I was born with, is basically a crisis of meaning where you just question why you're here, what you're meant to do while you're here, and what the meaning of life is if we're just all going to expire. And it's a really profound sense of futility until you are able to make sense of it for yourself and find your way to meaning. 
I mean, when you're deep in the throes of existential nihilism, which is the sense that life has no meaning and we are unable to make meaning in a meaningless world, it's as low as it gets. It doesn't get any lower. And it's at those points that many people decide to not go on. So I think I was to avoid that feeling, which is what basically suffused me night and day, I had to anchor onto something to not allow me to feel as awful as I felt. So that was, in a sense, the material things, the success, the validation, not without hard work. It wasn't the superficial. It was the working hard to get to the achievement and the success that I needed. And I became probably the highest functioning existentially depressed person in the world, because not only did I function at a very high level, but no one ever knew I suffered from this, including myself, because I repressed, denied, and disassociated from those horribly dark emotions to such an extent that I really created a a facade that I lived under and didn't know the difference. It was who I was for nearly 50 years. Oh, wow. You write in your book that living life for 50 years as an imposter, embracing my truth, nearly taking my life, my mission now is to help others unearth what gives their life meaning. And how powerful that is. You go on to say in a few paragraphs later that yet, although I was still creating, there remained this gaping hole in my soul as I was desperate to be seen in darkness as well as light. And for... People that have not read your book yet, first of all, it is beautifully, beautifully, beautifully written and such an expression of your soul in terms of just how you felt. And I I just I commend you for the courage that it takes to do that and to put it on paper, much in the same way as my brother here from another mother has done the same. And the impact that those words can have, because in the context of depression, one of my big drivers, one of my great frustrations with our society today is how little attention is placed on mental illness, whether it be depression, whether it be anxiety, whether it be paranoid delusional schizophrenia. And I sat in a room with Michael Phelps, the greatest Olympian of all time, talking about how he was suicidal because of his gripping depression. Mm -hmm. It's very hard, I think, for so many people to look at someone like yourself that's been so successful in business Michael Phelps, who's been just beyond worldly in the Olympics, and think that they can be suffering as much as you do, right? As much as you are. How did you come to the realization of this existential depression, which is obviously a you know a label, but it's a it's a set of feelings that you were having. And I'm so curious, how did you come to the point where you could actually now put a label on it and now try to I'll say address it, but that's probably not a fair word. No, it is. It is. And in this case, the label was the greatest thing ever. Because when you feel you're utterly alone and no one else will ever understand or accept you, to have a label for that is like the greatest thing ever. Relief. Because that was the first time I realized, right, I realized, oh my gosh, I actually have something that people have had before me and people will have after me. And yes, that means that there is a way to address it. So basically it came through, believe it or not, an accident, you know, and I think I I talk about dot moments in our lives, which are these moments that when they happen, you may not believe they're anything, 
but upon looking back, they become these beautiful dots that connect together and create the trajectory of your life. And for me, one of these profound dot moments was when I read the book, Man's Search for Meaning. Dr. Frankel, sure. One, yeah. of, one of my all-time favorites. He has become sort of the antidote to a lot of what I've experienced because after he got out of the concentration camp, at the end of the book, it's not even in the body of the book, at the, in the epilogue, he talks about how he started to engage in logotherapy, a form of existential analysis. And even being someone who read the thesaurus for fun as a child, <laughs> I had never, yeah, see? Now you understand why I had to hide myself from the world. You should have been a lawyer. Like, what are you doing tonight? I had the language for it, if not the logic. But when I looked up existential, which I never heard in my life, and looked up logotherapy even more so, logotherapy, I, I fell to my knees, truly. Because logotherapy is this contention coming from Viktor Frankl that humans' number one motivation in the world is to find meaning. And that everyone who is able to ponder high, higher realities is in the search for meaning. And when I started to read about folks who don't feel there's any meaning and that they fall into existential anguish or existential depression, it was exactly to the letter. I mean, I could write it myself, what I had experienced my whole life. And then the second dot was that those who are afflicted with existential depression tend to be highly creative people because they're, they're folks at the beginning who have these higher sensitivities to life, which enables them to feel more, think more, ponder more, go into their imaginations more than some other people. So that not only was I a highly creative person, but I also was afflicted with these hypersensitivities that made my experience with living much more acute. And I always said, I felt as if my tuning knob was turned all the way up, like someone that was an amplifier and someone basically took every button on the, you know, the whole, the whole sound system and went zoop and like, like moved everyone to the way top. And I would do this a lot of times. And if you see kids doing like just this- just covering up. It's, yeah, and I wrote a verse when I was like five, which is, please hinder the noise. I've lost, I've lost track of the joys. I can't hear anymore with this deafening roar. I can't see anymore with this staggering light. I can't breathe anymore with this stifling fright. Wow. Everything was just, yeah, everything was just so overwhelming that I barely, you know, exist. So when you, when you say these hypersensitivities, feelings, all of your sen sensory Sensories, organs. Sensory yeah. overload. There are five of them, yeah. And just all of them were so intense. So yeah, the definition was that you can be considered hypersensitive to be afflicted with just one, but there are five. I was truly the dictionary definition of all five. And when I realized that, I, I mean, I get emotional just thinking about it now, I didn't stop crying for about three days. and. Wow because it was like this, like this window had opened into my soul for the very first time. And I saw this, this word that I've created, which is I'm blursed, you know, that I never quite understood why I could just create 
from nothing. I could create out of thin air. And I realized that, oh my goodness, my blessing is my curse. And I realized very clearly that here I had tried to expunge every quality that gave me the, this ability to create from nothing because creating from nothing has a price to pay. You know, and I write a lot of verses about it. Like, don't think you're just going to wake up one day and be like, woohoo, I'm in the boundless expanse of imagination, baby, and I'm <laughs> staying right here. No, it means that a lot of my days are really low. Like yesterday I woke up and I had tears on my pillow. Like some mornings I wake up and I'm sobbing and I don't even know why. I feel so deeply. And yesterday I was really emotional all day and it wasn't anything was different. It was just, I just feel really, really deeply. And whether it's joy or despair, you know, it doesn't matter. It's not like I'm only one or I'm only the other, but just, I wrote a verse that, you know, both the beauty and the pain of the world are unbearable for me. Wow. How, how old were you when you realized you were blursed and full disclosure, I'm going to steal that and uh, repurpose Yay! it for the rest of my life because I'm so, glad. so often I'm thinking of one of my dearest friends, my friend Glenn in 2008, when he kind of sat me down and shared with me that he had stage four throat cancer. Mm -hmm. The very next sentence out of his, his mouth of all things with throat cancer took me to my knees, which is I think this is going to be the greatest gift of my life. And never had I ever heard someone connect the pain of something like cancer with this could be the greatest gift of my life. And so when you said the word blurst, I got the chills because that is your gift. That is the curse and the blessing, like you said. It just, wow, I'm just speechless. And, and, and I wrote so many verses like I'm I am straddling the line between insanity and bliss. Wow. You know, because it really was another little turn and I would be muttering in some, you know, institution, but if I could keep it under control, it could be this really cool thing I could harness. But I was like, some days I was right on that line. If we just take a look at what's going on in the world today, Melissa, Jim and I have shared this with you several times about the whole 2020 experience and how unique the experience of the year has been, and it still continues. I was hoping that when the clock struck midnight on December 31, everything would revert to normal, but it didn't quite happen. But what's been amazing is how I've never in my life experienced simultaneously the amount of pain and joy in life, simultaneously, within moments of one another. And I would imagine that more and more people are sharing those similar feelings. I Like you, I always felt so incredibly alone and unique in that nobody thought like I thought, felt like I felt, and I was just isolated for such a long time and did a masterful job of putting a mask on so that I could show up in public and, and do what it was society expected me to do. And I just think that, especially with, with the current crazy that's going on in our world, that more and more people are wondering whether they're blursed as well. Yeah. And I, and I think that doesn't have to be a negative. You know, I think that's the point. Like all our gifts come with some, you know, life is, and part of my 
my therapy has been philosophical therapy, which is really going back and, and really reading philosophy from Socrates on because I'm not the first person who pondered life's meaning, I'm happy to say. And that's what <laughs> learning about Viktor Frankl showed me. Yeah. Like many, many wise people before myself pondered this and came up with really incredible antidotes. So I think, and they all have said that life is a paradox and you cannot have one without the other. Right. Like blessing and curse are together. Dark and light are together, high and low are together. And unfortunately, our American culture does not see it as such. They make us feel that it's one or the other. And, you know, part of what I've been doing is I've created a whole language for myself to help talk about dichotomous feelings together. I mean, one of my favorite words, because there wasn't a word to, to explain it, is exilified. And it's what I feel each and every day and what I will not, if I don't feel exilified each day, then something is wrong. And it's that feeling when you're on the top of a roller coaster and it's, I always think of a wooden one because I'm older and it's creaking its way to the top and you reach that point right as it's about to go over. What are you? exhilarated just, and terrified at the same time exactly you're not just one and, I, i'm more blurst at that point <laughs> <laughs> there you go but you know i feel like life always forced me to say one or the other and yeah. and i knew there were so many times if i was speaking in front of a thousand people that I was absolutely terrified. But the truth was, I was also that bit exhilarated because I knew if it went the way I hoped and people happened to be touched by it, that it would be the most exhilarating feeling ever. So I had to come up with a word that said, I'm not just terrified, <laughs> I'm both. <laughs> the truth is our culture doesn't allow us to feel two things at the same time. So we grow up believing we can only be shiny. We can't show the dark side. And that is the, the the most tragic thing ever. And is why I write a verse, resistance and repression dredge a channel to depression. It's a direct, if you resist, deny, and repress your feelings, you will by definition become depressed. So why is there an epidemic of 300 million depressed people in the world? Because we're resisting and denying and repressing who we truly are. It's not a secret. I thought, even with all of the work that you and I have done together, that I've done on my own journey these last 15 years, that I was truly alone in 2020, feeling those simultaneous opposites. And wow, thank you for making me feel like that's not a bad thing. This is a good thing. In Just fact- think about it. How would you ever know real joy without knowing real pain? Right. Bingo. Right. It wouldn't be joy. It would just be your everyday life. It's only through the dichotomy that we appreciate the one or the other. You talked about Viktor Frankl was the first dot. What was the second dot? Well, the second dot was Kazimierz Dabrowski, who showed me that these hypersensitivities were so, so important. And then the next dot came when I decided that I would go public and really show the world who I was. Because, you know, and the very first dot, I should really say the very first dot came when we started Melissa and Doug. 
because I had always created from the time I was two years old, but because my creativity and my creations were so dark, I only believed that I could channel darkness into more darkness. And what happened is everything I created, I shoved away in a closet, in a drawer, it never touched light and it never touched anyone else. So it never brought me meaning, right? Here I was, all I want is meaning. I'm creating like crazy, but it has, it's bringing me no meaning. It's just bringing me more despair. So I was at my, my lowest point ever. But when I started to make toys by accident, like who, who would have thought I'd make toys of all things? I realized that I had a choice and part of our life mission is to take responsibility for our lives and know that only we alone can make meaning in our lives. So when I saw that I had a choice to either channel darkness into more darkness or turn off the dark faucet, turn on the light faucet, take that exact same despair. It wasn't changed. It was the same derivation, but now I could channel it into light and actually make toys no less, like these light, bright, shiny things that I could give to a child and spark their imagination. So that was the first dot and that created the mantra that became my life mantra that I say to myself every single day. And it's part of my practice, which is step on out of the head and move into the heart, free to channel all dread into jubilant art. And that is my mantra, which is to say, get out of the prison of your mind, which is not a good place. It, it tells you you're worthless and you'll never amount to anything and the world is futile and move into your heart because when you're in your heart and creating, nothing else matters. So that was the first dot, but then, so that happened. I had the joy. I had these revelations that I'm not alone. I'm suffering from someone, suffering something that has a name. And then I knew I had to share this because I was still living a lie. And I was, I had created this facade. I was creating these toys that were light and bright and beautiful, but I wanted people to know that the person behind them felt really low at times. And I needed, I don't know, for some reason, I knew if I didn't honor the cry of my soul to be seen authentically, that I would never rest in peace. And it just became this drumbeat that I could not quell. I tried, I was an, a master at repression and denial, but I couldn't, and I couldn't sleep and I couldn't, it was like, again, that soul was like, let me be seen. So I went on one of my favorite podcasts, the one that made me read Viktor Frankl again. And I exposed for the first time to anyone, my family didn't know, nobody knew. And I went on this podcast and basically told the story that you know, I had suffered from all this and forgot it was even going to air because I recorded it in October. It didn't air oh, till wow. the end of March. Wow. Didn't end till the end of it didn't air till the end of March, five months. And after it was over, I almost didn't believe I did it. It was so surreal. Yeah. And you know, podcasts, you don't get any validation. It's one person. So I was kind of like, maybe I didn't even do it. Like I live in my imagination so much. I'm like, did I imagine I did it? So I, I forgot it was even airing. And I, and I thought, eh, I'll probably never air it. I only knew because I started to get letters. And I mean, not just one letter. I am talking hundreds of letters that were drops of gold raining down from the heavens because they were so beautiful. They were like, I have been suffering my whole life and no one has ever given verbalization to how I'm feeling before now. And 
I knew after reading those letters that I had to respond to every single one and I had to talk to as many of those folks as I could. And I spent the next six months writing back every single person who wrote me all over the world. It was the coolest thing. And saying to everyone, if you want to speak to me, I'd love to speak with you. And I spoke to close to maybe a hundred of them. Oh, wow. And some wouldn't speak to me. You know, some were probably like, oh my gosh, this crazy woman wrote me back. (laughs) (laughs) I was just trying to say congrats. I didn't want to speak to her. And those conversations were nothing short of exilifying in every sense. And I knew that that's what I wanted to spend the rest of my life doing. I wanted to help others find their darkness, or I should say, I wanted to help others channel their darkness into profound light. There is no scarier experience, at least for me, than the first time we open up our souls to the world and tell our deepest, darkest truths. And as you were sharing that story, Melissa, it brought me right back to that day in 2015 when he and I were standing in a video studio doing some marketing videos for our business. Uh-huh. And he looked at me and he said, hey, while we're here, uh-huh. tell that story about taking off the mask, just for fun. Uh-huh. It, it was the most uncomfortable but real, unscripted, letter-rip Here's who I am. Raw emotion. Open the kimono. It was so uncomfortable. But at the same time, it almost felt like my whole life I had been carrying this backpack with just as life experiences were happening, another 10-pound rock would go in the backpack. And that day that I stood there and told that story for the first time was like half of those rocks came out of the backpack. Mm. You were trembling. Your body was shaking. The emotion that was coming through your physical body was extraordinary to watch as you told that story. And then when you finished and kind of the reverberation of the experience, it's just I'm in awe to be in both of your presence. The concept Think about how exhausting it is to carry, to carry, to, to sure. try to be someone you're not your yes. whole life. Yes. Is there anything more exhausting than denying your true self? Oh, it's walking around with a backpack with 300 pounds of rocks in my back all day. Or a gorilla on your chest. (laughs) Exactly. Our bodies and our brains were just not meant to carry that kind of weight. It's unbelievably freeing. So I want to do this, Melissa. This whole path you're on now, what you've created through Lifelines, the whole theme for our show this month is all about self-care. And this idea of being able to unconditionally look in the mirror and love this person looking back at me creates a whole new way we start thinking about how we take care of ourselves. Yes. You mentioned your daily practice, your mantra, what you share with yourself. Take us through for for a couple of minutes. What is your daily routine for self-care that allows this unbelievable human presence to show up vulnerable, real, and willing and wanting to have impact in the world and helping other people. What's that morning routine look like for you? I love that because for most of my life, I wasn't even on the list of self-care. Never. In fact, I was, again, one of the volumes of the book is martyrdom. I gave from an empty well to such an extent that I developed such bitterness and resentment that I didn't even know was building up. But I realized now We can't give from an empty well and we do have to care for ourselves. So that became 
the last page of the book, which is what are your lifelines? So once we finally accept ourselves in totality and realize that we are actually a full emotional spectrum from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, and we know that means that, guess what? If we are going to truly accept ourselves and allow ourselves to feel everything we feel, we are going to have some really low days. You know, like yesterday, I mean, as I said, was a really low day. Today isn't. It's going to undulate just like the ocean. So we know then that we need a daily practice to help us remain steadfast in the face of life's ups and downs. Mm. And that became what I call my lifelines. And my first lifeline, of course, were the verses, my lifelines, uh, because those save me and I write them every single day, more when I'm having a, a challenging day. Mm. So that's the first but then I've developed a whole bunch of others that I really love. And again, they're different for every one of us. And I think part of the fun of life is discovering and unearthing new ones. Um, but I would say mine that I do every single day is the writing, the writing, the verses. It's like very therapeutic. I know most of us feel the same way, but nature is about the most soothing place I can ever be. And it immediately grounds me in the moment. And I think teaches me so many lessons I need to, to learn, which is nature doesn't care what anyone thinks of it. Mm -hmm. Nature doesn't lament its future. It's not fearing death. It's just being. And I need to hear that and see that like every single day. So every day, Doug and I go for a walk, no matter what the weather, you know, and in the, the Northeast, that is not easy to say, but we say there is no bad weather, just bad clothing. So like... <laughs> Another layer, another hat. We look ridiculous, but we're always out. And anyone here will say, there they are every single day for an hour. And it has to be, if I don't do it, I, I feel like anxious, like something starts to go awry. Another one that's really simple, but so deep for me is drinking tea. The whole act of drinking tea. I've been a tea drinker since I was a child and I lived in Japan and have been to China many times. Like tea is really has a, beautiful history and the warmth of the tea does something you know I crave warmth so much because I never gave myself compassion that the warmth of holding tea and the smell of the tea leaves and just the whole idea of pouring the water is just a very sacred pra practice for me so I drink tea two three times a day and really revel in that experience and I'll just give one more I mean I have a million but I think I was a musician for most of my life and playing music did something vibrationally to me when I uh, first played guitar and I have a verse about it. You know, I was vaulted to a realm afar where sound and soul merged in elation. Um, it's the vibration of the guitar strings like actually raises my vibratory frequency to this really incredible level. And I feel it. I literally feel myself rise and same in nature. Um, and I, you know, I was thinking about being a professional musician. And when I decided not to and go to and went to college, I quit cold Turkey, like all my instruments. Uh, and I believed that I could never find that sense of elation again, but I now see that playing music, hearing music can get me to just that exact same spot. And my Spotify playlist is like one of my most treasured possessions. Uh, I think every song on that list can move me to tears. And when I'm having sort of a, 
like a little bit of a malaise day, I put on, you know, one of my favorite artists and I truly feel myself like go to a better, a better place. So that's just a few. I have many more, but they're, wow. they're a lot. I sure hope we're able to have this conversation, the extended version at some point. And well, we're just getting started. I've, I've got two to three more That's hours okay. worth of conversation oh, and questions yeah. I'd love to have to. I Melissa, have a few more minutes. Oh, God, I, I could sit here all day and, and talk with you about this. This is unbelievable. It's amazing. I mean, I've, I've known you for so long, and I feel like the depth at which I'm really knowing you as a person now is unbelievable. What you're doing with Lifelines is no doubt transformative. It's going to help millions and millions of people learn how to make sense of something that they haven't been able to make sense out of their whole lives. They've been suffering, as as you did, as I have. For you to create something like this, to give so selflessly and be so vulnerable and generous, I'm so grateful to have you here today. How would our financial sobriety community get in touch with you? What's the best way to learn more about Lifelines, to connect with you personally? Give us a whole bunch of ways to do that. Of course. So any one of your listeners can contact me directly. One of the things I intend to do is respond to anyone who takes the time to write me personally. That's how important this is to me, to show everyone that they're seen and no one is alone. That is the most important thing. So I'm Melissa Bernstein, B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N at lifelines.com. That's my email. And our community is lifelines.com. It's entirely free. We have so much cool content. We have workshops. Ultimately, we'll have webinars. They're all going to be free because Doug and I have been so fortunate with toys that we want this to be a community to show anyone and everyone that they're not alone. And then, gosh, my Instagram, which is, this is all new to me, is <laughs> Melissa Bernstein Official. And then our company Instagram is at Seek Lifelines. You awesome. are a beautiful spirit. I'm so blessed to get to know you, at least virtually, and look forward to the day when I can actually give you a hug and our souls can connect. Oh, that would be amazing. And thank you so much for sharing this with your community. It really is all, it, it's all intertwined. Whether you have issues with, money or with emotions. It's all the same thing. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you. How unbelievably generous was that of Melissa? And I, he- I'm, I'm speechless. I mean, I just, uh, knowing how many people could reply over time to her and her unbelievable generosity to make a commitment that she will reply if you write her. Oh, I, I mean, first of all, the reveal. Oh, the the idea that on the outside I've she got had it all. all. She had it all. Yeah, I everything mean, a human being, an incredible could education, possibly want. Yeah, an incredible education, the Wall Street job of a lifetime, the business of a lifetime, to be able to pivot from working for the man to working for herself and having impact and creating something with the love of her life that millions and millions of families have benefited greatly from. To have this amazing home that she came in and shared with us today. I mean, Melissa was in her home in Westport, Connecticut, when we got this chance to talk with her here on in the virtual world, and to raise six incredible children there. To have all of that, yet on the inside, wow! All she wanted to do was die. I, 
I can't even imagine. To be willing to put herself out there to have one-on-one conversations with anybody who reaches out to her, what an incredible, generous gift she's offered. That's awesome. That is truly, truly a gift that I hope people take advantage of, because if you're in that kind of pain, whether you know it's existential depression or not, don't feel restricted by the fact that you may not know what your thing is called, what your discomfort is called, but someone like Melissa can maybe even help direct you or give you a clue, give you another puzzle piece in your own journey towards better mental health. Melissa brought up an incredible point that you and I have talked a lot about, and that goes back to the two most important days of our lives, the day we're born and the day we truly realize why. And to see an example through Melissa of how she's been able to really manage these three very complicated relationships in life, there is no doubt in my mind that what Melissa has created with Lifelines is going to change millions and millions of lives. It's going to be transformational. And to think that we get to be on this journey with her, having the kind of impact we one day hoped we could have, it blows my mind. I mean, just imagine with me for a minute. Just humor me. Close your eyes. Imagine what this world would look like if everybody we knew had just a little bit more financial sobriety, if everyone was a little bit more intentional with these three very important relationships, the food insecurity that exists in our country today, the half a million people who are going to sleep on the street tonight, if everybody had just a little bit more financial sobriety, does that all go away? Imagine what our world would look like. The word that keeps coming to mind for me is compassion. Tell me more. And that if we were to translate financial sobriety, it would be compassion. Maybe empathy and compassion? Sure. They're very similarly uh, kissing cousins in my book on that. But we'd care about each other more. We'd care about each other more. We would be more understanding and more empathetic over someone else's situation. Maybe not so quick to judge. And that compassion would be very contagious. Because right now, we're very divided, right? If you don't think the way I do, if you don't act the way I do, I'm supposed to hate you. I'm being told I'm supposed to hate you. Well, and think about how money's been used. Money, I mean, money has been weaponized for centuries. and To we, divide us. We have weaponized it yet again. So much of Melissa's story, so much of her message, what a beautiful soul she is. It's a healing energy, much in the same intent that we have with financial sobriety, to try to help people heal the ache that they feel. They may not be able to articulate it. But if using your word, if we can create a little bit more compassion for thyself within our own relationship, within our own skin, if we can then give that to other people, especially those we're closest freely. to, freely. freely with no attachment, and as then, we like to say. And then completely simplify our relationship with money by being so intentional with how we spend it, how we save it, how we invest it, how we use it. How we giveth away. Holy cow. I can't wait to see what this world looks like when everybody's got a little bit of financial sobriety. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety, I'm Matthew Grishman. 
And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.